If you have a child who's struggling, you've asked for help for school, but guess what? You've come up empty handed because they've said no. This is the episode you need to listen to. and papas and hopefully educators and caregivers. This is another episode of It's Gonna Be Okay with Dr. Roseanne. And I am super excited because there are a lot of things you all ask me about. You ask me a lot of questions about 504 accommodation plans and IEPs and how to get support at school for your kid. We're going to dive in today how school interventions can help kids with ADHD. You can have other issues too. This is a deep dive, but we know ADHD is the most common clinical condition. So welcome to the show, Vicki and Amanda. They are attorneys with Inclusive Education Project. And thank you so much for being a resource for parents, uh, mainly in California and soon to be across the United States. But introduce yourselves, tell us about who you are and all these beautiful parents that you help. Thank you, Dr. Rowe. We always start at the same time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Dr. Rowe, thank you so much for having us. I'm Vicki Brett and there's Amanda. We are basically cut from the same cloth. I mean, you could already see that we're, we're talking over each other. We uh, have been attorneys for 10 plus years um, in the area of special education. And um, yeah, today we're, we're uh, really excited to get into kind of some of those common questions that parents um, come to us about IEPs and 504s. And what's nice is it's a federal law. So we can talk in general about the federal law, which is the land of whole, you know, United States. And then we can talk specific to California, but just be sure to know that we are attorneys. We're just not your attorneys. (laughs) So hopefully we can get into it. And Vicki, how did you get involved in special education law, which, you know, you got to have a heart of gold to get in there in that ring. It's not easy. Yeah, no, it's not easy. I have a cousin that I grew up with that is on the spectrum. So we had kind of seen, you know, what are these, you know, I what is an IEP, right? And and kind of saw how he went through it. And uh, Amanda and I went to the same law school. Um, and I was a year ahead of her. And we actually really connected and bonded uh, while studying abroad in Spain. And we wanted to keep the party going. <laughs> and she had said, hey, I'm going to be in the special education clinic. We should be in the same class. I was like, awesome, let's do it. Signed up for it. They pulled me from her class to go to the different class uh, of the clinic. But that really bonded us, the the love of special education. I, I went to law school thinking I'd be an environmental law attorney and I had a fellowship with um, Coast Keeper. And I kind of realized I really liked the clinic with working with the parents, very much a people person. And so I really fell into it and had the opportunity to work with some of the advisors from the clinic and then waited for Amanda to to graduate. And then we (laughs) kind of just hit the ground running together. That's awesome. There's such a need for more people that can help parents, you know, navigate the law because it's not easy. No, it's not. And that's kind of how I fell into it. I worked with kids all my life, worked in schools, um, was getting a degree in child development thinking at first going to be a teacher and then a special education teacher. Uh, My aunt is a special education teacher. And I thought, you know, and I, I worked with kids with special needs like all my life. And 
I started working at a school that was one of those one in a million schools, uh, full inclusion, everything is working really well, and just really fell in love with the kids I worked with, but very quickly saw the red tape, saw how much of a battle for these families it was to even get to the point where they felt like their kids were included. And, you know, that was many years ago. And and unfortunately, it's still the same. But I quickly realized that I would be one of those teachers that wouldn't last very long because I would speak my mind. Um, I was always told growing up I should go to law school and I I fought it so hard. Until this kind of like merged and it and I found out it was an area of law and I said, oh man, I'm going to have to go to law school. <laughs> I found out it was a legitimate area of law that was kind of like the perfect fit for me to be able to use my skills and help families and ended up meeting Vicki in law school. And, you know, like she said, we really felt like working at other firms for a little bit after law school, we just saw the system. We saw the legal system and it just not working the way that we wanted it to work. It was one case at a time, sometimes all the way up to, you know, the Ninth Circuit, federal court taking years. And and really, you're not making a big impact, like even for that child, because they're on for the next year and next year. And so we started the Inclusive Education Project with the eye of wanting to be nonprofit to do more than just provide legal services. Um, in which you know we started our own podcast and you know really are, are trying to educate families and administrators and teachers and everyone in this community um, more about the topics that, of course, I mean we have people like you on wonderful experts that educate us and educate everyone else. You know we truly benefit from our guests as much as our, our listeners do because there's just so much out there and and not enough people know all the resources that are there for families. Well, and what a beautiful mission to do that. And I know, you know, you're young mothers as well now. And, you know, now you understand that the worry piece that happens when you give birth. Nobody tells you that when you worry all this, like you give birth and the next thing you know, you're like, oh my God, you know, all these motions come in and, you know, it's really hard when your kid is having a hard time in school. And a lot of times by the time they get to an attorney, and that's why it's so important, the work you're doing and, and why people should listen to your podcast and follow you because so much can be done proactively mm-hmm. instead of reactively. I say that all the time mm-hmm. in health. And parents don't realize that the laws are actually in favor of the student. Yes. They just need to know the rules of the game. Right. Exactly. Right. Uh, Yeah. Teaching him that. So, you know, there's so much to unpack about 504 IEP. And I think the biggest thing that people get confused about right out of the gate is like really in a very basic cliff notes way, What's the difference between an IEP and a 504? Because that would really help a lot of parents. It's unfortunate that schools even don't always understand the difference. I'm in a battle right now with a family who's trying to push towards a 504 that the school is instead of an IEP. And it's really sad when, and it's understandable to a certain extent because it is rooted in the law. Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act sets out how we develop 504 plans, who's eligible, and the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act sets forth the parameters for IEPs, or Individualized Education Programs. So we have two different laws that have two different eligibility requirements, 
And majority of these people are not well-versed in the laws. Most lay people aren't anyway, right? So that's where we get a lot of this confusion. But when it comes down to the most simple way, I think, to explain it is if we're looking at providing access to instruction from physical access, a child that's in a wheelchair or who needs physical support in their classroom in order to access the learning environment, whether the learning environment is the classroom, the materials that are in front of them on the books, that access, those accommodations and supports really would lend itself to a 504 plan. If we're talking about actual direct services or supports that are going to help the substantive nature of learning, those really need to be done in an IEP. When we get into you know, things like kids with ADHD, that's where we kind of cross the line of which one does it, do they fall into? It gets murky. It right? does yeah. get murky yeah. Because, yeah. because what do they need? Do they need accommodations that level the playing field or do they need direct instruction? Really, that's, right. that's what it boils down to, right? Right, right. You know? And it's hard just, and just for parents that are listening, this is hard stuff. People that are trained yeah. educators don't understand this, which I don't right. really know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's no excuse for that, right? So you're listening now and you're learning and, and hopefully you can impart this stuff to the team. And But this is why this conversation is important because there's just a lot of misinformation. So yes. when we have a child with, I, with ADHD, are they automatically entitled to a 504? That's a question I get all the time. What's your answer to that? You need to have the district be aware because they should be right. But let's let's just, you know. And so then, as Amanda said, there's eligibility, right? You, you don't just get a 504. That's right. right. <clears throat> you have a doctor's diagnosis. You can bring it. And this is that basically starts the conversation. There are many times when parents do this and that should trigger, hey, let's talk about a 504 and or an IEP. And it triggers, oh, hey, let's just have a student success team meeting or whatever other acronym they want to throw at it. And we'll 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 get the teacher to to do X, Y and Z or we, we have plenty of that we can push in. The problem with that is that's kind of like a parent teacher conference and it lives and breathes with that teacher, but there's no guarantee that it'll go outside of. So if you have a really great teacher one year and they did X, Y, and Z, and that's just the way that they are magic. And then you go the next year and you have a different teacher and it's like, Hey, they did X, Y, and Z. And that teacher's like, I don't do that. And I don't, there's no carryover. There's no carryover. So you want to be able to at least have the team acknowledge with the ADHD, the diagnosis, that it's an everyday event that is impeding the child's access in some way. And it's right. usually attention. And it's not just learning. It's behavior right. and it's social yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Let's be clear yeah. about and, that. And that's a really big distinction. And yes. in fact, the case I mentioned before, that's exactly what's happening. The child is getting very good grades, but the anxiety <laughs> and the withdrawal and the mm-hmm. school refusal is the other piece of it. So When we talk about eligibility, we're looking at that there's some type of impairment, whether it's a Mm -hmm. diagnosis ability or not, Mm -hmm. and that is impacting the child's education. And education isn't just academics. It's not reading, writing, and arithmetic. Mm -hmm. It is also Mm -hmm. vocational skills, which includes daily living skills. We It Mm -hmm. also includes social-emotional skills, mental Mm -hmm. health, social skills. Social-emotional is a big category, right? And so it can be impacting any of these. So if you're thinking and if the school is saying your child is getting straight A's or A's, that's right. They're doing just fine. Mm -hmm. 
that alone is not enough to say the child is not eligible. And in yeah, fact, right. we get some families who go to the team and say, I think my kid needs a 504 or an IEP. Maybe they mm-hmm. say accommodations. Mm-hmm. And the team says, we don't think. That word think is nowhere in the law. That's mm-hmm. that's not. It's You need to look at assessments first mm-hmm. to say, should this child be eligible? You can't just have one person say that this is my belief. Mm-hmm. Um, it really needs to be rooted in data. It needs to be rooted in more than one piece of information. So mm-hmm. grades, how they're functioning in the classroom, how they're functioning mm-hmm. outside of the classroom. These mm-hmm. are all factors that a team needs to look at. And it really should be done through a formal assessment, whether we're looking at a 504 or an IEP. But the requirements for either are very mm-hmm. different because we have different very laws different. that are mm-hmm. requiring very different things. Yeah. And, you know, what I find is in my experience, you know, as a mental health provider, people come to me and they're like, can you just write a letter and they can get this? Uh, right. And right. I'm like, hold on. And, you know, the law doesn't say that it has to be a medical doctor. There's mm-hmm. no right. And school districts will say, I need a letter from a medical doctor. They'll put all these types mm-hmm. of restrictions. The law in that part is clear. And then schools make these rules up for parents, mm-hmm. which really, really are discriminatory. And additional obstacles. Yeah. yeah. Additional yeah. obstacles and barriers. And it's like, why? Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't you want this? Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. hear all the time, well, this district or the school has a policy that we do X, Y, and Z. Let me just tell you this. If people don't realize this and don't know this, federal law trumps a district policy. Absolutely. Every single yeah. time. Yeah. And And no matter what that district or school policy says, the law says if there is a suspicion of a disabling condition, suspicion, suspicion can come from anybody, parent, Mm -hmm. soccer coach, piano teacher, Mm -hmm. doctor, teacher, Mm -hmm. janitor of the school that talks to your kid every day. Anyone that is involved in this child's life can have a suspicion that there's a disabling condition that is impacting school and it automatically triggers the district's need to assess and look into it and not let's do an SST meeting, not let's have a parent-teacher conference. And an assessment also does not mean the same type of assessment for IEP, even though that's right. would be lovely. It doesn't right. mean that. And, you know, I think the thing that I want people to hear is that, you know, if you have a kid with ADHD and there literally is zero impact on their anywhere, social, emotional, behavioral, academic, you're not getting a 504. You're not getting extended time Just because. okay. so just be clear about that, because that's part of this pushback. Schools are wrong. But if your child has an impact and they're a straight A student and they're really not getting along with other kids or their anxiety is interfering with their ability to get to school. This is when we're talking about 504. Yeah. Right. I mean, if it's taking your kid six hours to do homework and it's supposed to take two and they're still getting A's, that's a problem. That is not okay. That should not be taking that six hours. Yeah. They're not accomplishing anything and it's hurting their social, emotional well being. And I, I think, you know, I would also challenge any district personnel that says, well, this is district policy. Okay. I'd like to see that in writing. Because I guarantee you That's it's right. not anywhere in writing. Right. Can I just say a hot tip? When yeah. somebody says there's a district policy, I don't care what it is. I mean, I used to go and do observations and they would tell me that they had a district policy on yes. X, Y, and Z and that I couldn't yep. go. And yep. I was like, where is it in writing? Where is, yeah. Yep. Yep. Never once was it produced, people, in no, 22 it, it years. No, it rarely so. <laughs> I mean, I'm not surprised. I know well, my, so, my case is surprised, but I'm not. Yeah. 
No. And that tip of like putting it in writing, that goes for everything. 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 Your school. Yeah. I mean, this should be off the top. Like if you have young kids and your kids are not in school yet, use this as your thing because you never know where, when you might need support is like putting everything in writing, asking for a journal. You have a conversation with people, put it in writing. You got notes. You got a notes thing right here. You put it in your phone. You got it with you. Yeah. Right. We're on our phone. Right. But follow up with an email, like mm-hmm. have a paper mm-hmm. trail. It's yes. so important. Another hot so tip, important. document, yes. document, and then document again. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the school team is supposed to be helping you get there, right? If you are making a request for support for your child, and maybe you're not using the right words. I mean, we're here to kind of coach you on the right words to use, but let's say you don't remember and you're just saying, mm-hmm. look, I think my kid is struggling. The school team has an obligation. Every person on the school team to help you put it in writing and provide it to the right people so that an assessment can be done. But very few people in a school district are trained on this. And and this is what under the IDEA is called their child find obligation to look at identifying any child who has that suspicion that that should be evaluated for an IEP. And, And the same really goes for private four. If there's something going on, the school team really should be helping you. And that's part of your parental rights. But it's rarely followed through. You rarely have, you know, you might be talking to a a general education teacher, or maybe you're talking to a school nurse. They're not special educators, unfortunately. And we think that everybody who works in the school understands what ADHD is, what dyslexia is, what anxiety is. They don't, you know, there are people there. And just because somebody's even been around a long time, doesn't mean that they do either. You know what I mean? So you have to be the CEO of your child's everything physical and mental health and own it and be okay with it yeah you know dr i once had a a teacher say to me in the 30 some odd years i've been doing this i've never had a kid with dyslexia and i'm like (laughs) i've heard that yeah you did yeah you did and you just didn't do anything about it like no that's not something to be so so you saying you know just because they've been there a long time, you know, yeah. does not mean that they no. know, and you know, and you know, your child best. And you that's do. Where and you have think, to like things like dyslexia, right? They mm-hmm. think you can't read. That's not true. You're just not a good right. reader. Right. Then, right. you know, ADHD, they think you can't focus. No, you can. You just can't focus yeah. when it's not of high interest, anxiety, mm-hmm. depression, mm-hmm. it goes up and down. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that may be confusing to parents too. And that's why you're getting, you're asking for help. So yeah. 504, and, and, you know, child fine, you talked about child fine and it, it's a really, really important concept to understand that there's an obligation to find kids who are struggling. And if you ask for help and they're not getting help, it doesn't mean you don't deserve it. Right. right. And that documentation, it also just helps you with your notes to memorize, you know, like, oh, I can't even remember. Oh, I had a conversation. When was yeah. it? These are important Uh things, right? As attorneys Mm -hmm. and not everything Mm -hmm. is going to go to attorney. You know, most people don't, right? Right. But having an advocate by your side can make a huge difference. I mean, it really, really can. So 504, it's about leveling the playing field. When it comes to an IEP, like for a child with ADHD, when does it switch to needing it. Paint the picture for a parent. It's a different process. It starts, you know, you, you ask for help. Both could involve assessment. They should. Mm-hmm. 
But mm-hmm. the investment right. in IE process, IEP right. process is very different. When do parents need to look at that if they have a child with ADHD? In so particular? I think there's a misnomer that like when a kid needs a little help, we go to 504. And then once it gets worse, then we switch to an IEP. No. And that's not really how it's supposed to work. Like, mm-hmm. yes, there may be kids who go from one to the other or the other back once they're getting more support. But eligibility, more often than not, if a child qualifies for one, they may qualify for the other one. And we get schools sometimes that will say, oh, no, we don't need an IEP. We're fine with a 504. Let's just put a bunch of stuff in it. Let's just throw mm-hmm. everything in the bag. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not how it's supposed to be done. Realistically, if you have a child who has a, a formal diagnosis or whether it's just a suspicion, right, and you know your child is struggling, realistically, you should be going first to the IEP mm-hmm. and you should be going first to the eligibility assessments because if the student is eligible under IEP, that's going to be your best game plan because IEPs have much more strict regulations and requirements for the timelines when things need to be done. You're having annual reporting. You're having annual goals that are going to be tracked and monitored, should be tracked and monitored by data and regular reporting. There's more accountability. So there's a lot more meat to it in an IEP. Even so if- much more meat. Yes. I mean, uh, and, and the responsibilities, like the stakeholders at school, mm-hmm. you know, the monitoring component, yes. the partnership with having somebody assigned to your child's case, the reporting yeah. the goals, like it's a different yeah. ballgame. And you're right if your child isn't doing well. You know, if you have a 504 plan and you're thinking, I don't think they're implementing this and I don't think it's going well. Enforcing that, it's so much more difficult than, you know, in in most states. Um, Here in California, if you have problems with your IEP, you're filing in state court a complaint versus having to file in federal court. So there's more meat to it. So I always tell families, you know, and schools, you should be err on the side of caution that if you think the child needs support, try an IEP. If you go through all the assessments, the assessments are really comprehensive and you then say, you know what, maybe it doesn't rise to the level of an IEP. Let's go to a 504. There's no harm there because the no information harm. you gathered from that assessment is going to help you whichever plan you go to. But I would gather that I would bet that nine times out of 10, you go through those assessments, they're eligible for an IEP. I don't disagree with you. And when you ask for an assessment, mm-hmm. I like for parents to put it in writing. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Hey there, Dr. Roseanne here, and I'm excited to tell you about my school accommodations guide, which I believe can be a game changer for parents and caregivers of children with special needs or mental health and behavioral challenges. As a parent myself, I understand how challenging it can be to navigate the complex world of IEP and 504 accommodations. That is exactly why I created this guide to provide you with the information you need to advocate for your child's rights and to ensure they're getting the right support that they need to be able to succeed academically, behaviorally, socially, emotionally at school. I've done the work for you and you have accommodations for over 
30 common issues that affect learning. This 80-page guide, you're just going to have a directory that you need to flip through and find exactly the right modifications and accommodations that your child needs. I'm passionate about helping children and their families, and I truly believe this guide can make a difference in the lives of those who use it. That's why I'm offering it completely free. So if you want to make sure your child is getting the best possible education and support, head over to www.drrosanne.com forward slash 504 to download the ultimate school accommodations guide today. I can't wait to hear how this helps you and your child. What do you like to, what do you recommend parents do when they want to ask for uh, IEP testing? What do you, I mean, really simply, I mean, these are really useful tips that parents just don't know what to ask for. They yeah, say they yeah. want help and they assume that it's all going to fall in. No, you have to put in writing. I want testing and I want an IEP meeting. Yeah. So, you know, obviously get, get your phone, get an email chain going. Let's put the teacher, let's put the principal. If you know that maybe it's the vice principal that is in charge of things, or if you know who the school counselor is or school psychologist, you know, let's put them in on the chain too. And it could be very simple. I mean, even just saying, you know, hello, I'm the mother of so-and-so. I believe that we need to have special education assessments be completed and it could be just that. You could literally just write that. That's right. But no, there's no harm and no foul in saying because, right. because my child is struggling, because I've noticed that homework is taking a long time. Because, like, you don't have to keep because doing, like, we a got a diagnosis, list. right? Because we got a diagnosis, you don't have to. But if we're gonna start this relationship with the school, and you already know how combative it can be, right? Just like oh, us as as yeah. experts on this side. But Holy if you're guacamole. a parent, and you don't know. I know. And if you're a parent, and you don't know. You want to be as transparent as possible. You know, are there times when a district has come back and said, "Well, why?" You know, and it's like, okay, well, you technically you don't have to do an explanation, but it's like, okay, this is why. So let's just beat them to the punch. Let's yeah. just say, I think my child needs. And let's talk about a real world problem. Yeah. So a lot of my parents ask for this or people contact me from all over the United States and the school says no. We get that all the time. Or so they either say no outright or they say, well, let's have an SST meeting or Mm -hmm. let's have a meeting to discuss Mm -hmm. what assessments, if any, need to be done Mm -hmm. under the law. Not supposed to happen. Right. What should happen is you send that email, you send that letter. Within 15 days in California, in other states, it's within a reasonable amount of time. Right. Some states have timelines as well. They need to be giving you an assessment plan that lays out each area that they're going to assess. So in at times when they just flat out say no, or they say, let's have an SST, most of the time what's happening is that's a school person decision. That's the right. The teacher is saying, yeah. I don't think yeah. we need it. The principal is saying, I don't think we need it. Usually that's what's happening. You only went to the school. So one of the things we like, if you're able to go on the school district website, search for their special education department. When you ask for your initial assessment, or if you get that, no, send it to the special education department because the special education administrators know that it is such a low threshold mm-hmm. to do an assessment. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have an SST meeting. You don't have to have a medical mm-hmm. diagnosis. You don't have to have a child failing. You don't have to have all these things. 
all you have to have is that suspicion, like we said. So if you've written your letter and it's not going anywhere, that's probably the, your next best step. And because a district administrator, you know, just because a school has an administrator doesn't mean that they're all up to date on the law or their legal obligations. A principal is not necessarily a special educator either, just like we said before. And, and your general education teacher is not, right? So most likely the people you spoke to don't actually know what their legal obligation is. So you need to be looping in people who actually do. Yeah. And you can't have enough people, you know, CC'd on that email. No. You really can't. Um, and you're going to have a meeting to discuss what this evaluation is going to be. And then the timeline is 45 days, right? Some states 45 or is it 60? So in, in California, it's 60 days. So once yeah. once you sign and send that back to yeah. the district, whatever day that is, then, you know, that's day one that's right. in receipt. The district has to be in receipt of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And then our in California, our 60 day timeline. So they have 60 days to do the evaluations and hold the IEP meeting. But when you're coming up on, you know, the winter breaks and the summer breaks, uh-huh. if there is excess of five school days where there's a break, then, you know, it, we get to stop. The, the those days don't right? and then told those, those days and this is important right? for parents to know that because they think yeah. it's going to be like a week you know right, right. Yeah. It's, it's right. a couple right. months right. yeah it's a yeah. You know it, it, right. I mean and, you ask yeah. for your eval on June 1 you're not getting it until the next exactly. right you're not exactly right and exactly in fact, right we sometimes get school teams that will try to discourage parents right. asking mm-hmm. in April May and June because That's they right. say well mm-hmm. there's not enough time well guess what one you can get started Start that timeline. That's Even right. If it's the last day of school that you sign that assessment plan. Do it anyway. Right. Because you want to start that timeline. Now, mm-hmm. should you be aware that if you signed it on the first the last day of school, that you maybe need to be the one to follow up and be like, mm-hmm. hey, just want to make sure we're starting mm-hmm. these assessments. Mm-hmm. Um, and should you maybe think about that honeymoon period at the beginning of the school mm-hmm. year? Teacher reviewing things. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. But there is that timeline. And the school team has to act on these things. They can't just delay, delay, delay. You know, we get families who come to us who said, yeah, you know, I asked for assessments. They kept telling me, no, I kept going to other people. They had an SST meeting. We finally got an assessment plan, but then they told me I had to sign right then, but then I wanted to take it home. You know, my kid got sick. And so two months later, Mm -hmm. I sent it back and then school year ended and then we started it. But Technically, we signed it, and then now it's June again, and no IEP has been held. Because I tell you, that has been a scenario so many times. That's so many times. So many but, times. Yeah. yeah. The school district has an obligation to act fairly quickly. They can't just delay, delay, delay. No. However, best practice as a parent is to keep on them um, and keep track follow of it in up. writing. Hot yes. tip: follow in- up. The squeaky uh, wheel gets the yeah. oil. Yeah. And 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 when they say, I think you gave a lot of nuggets in there, Amanda. Like um, when they just because they say no doesn't mean it's real, right? Like right. you have the power, right? So those sixty days expire and you haven't had a meeting, you need mm-hmm. to say, hey, the, the date of this, it says right, right. on, should say right. your IEP, yep. you know, that meeting notes, it should say when that eval is supposed to be done, yeah. you know, a couple weeks before, three weeks before, when is the meeting yeah. going to be scheduled? Right. I would say at least yeah. three weeks. Yeah. Um, 
And what is your feeling? So I think one of the biggest things, you know, I was an evaluator in school. I gave mm-hmm. my, not only did I give my report in advance of the meeting, I would call the parent and talk about it with them. Oh my God, amazing. I know. Um, Ken, yeah. Uh, where are you? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's one of those things where, does it say anywhere in the law that that needs to happen? No. No. Is it best practice? Absolutely. It right? doesn't happen very no, often. No, it doesn't yeah. happen. And, but, and we always make the request in writing, you know, yeah. that, okay. that, hey, yeah. if we're going to have this IEP meeting five days before, we'd like to have any documentation that's going to be reviewed so that one, we can review it and speak to our client about it. And two, we can come prepared to this hour and a half, which should be two hours. And it just depends, like some some districts and some schools are different, right? They'll only allocate an hour. And it's like, we need at least three hours, but whatever. But anyway, let's make the best use of that time. And we will yeah. come ready with any comments, questions, or concerns. Yeah. Then we can really get into the meat and potatoes right. of yeah. the IEP, the individualized education plan. That is yeah. what the IEP is. Yeah. And that is what you really want to get done and locked in at the end yeah. of that first meeting. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, so important what you said, because that is such a big tip. Ask for it, you know, mm-hmm. tell them three, four, you know, tell them at that first meeting that we want it and then follow up in writing um, yeah. because you need to be prepared for this. Right. meeting. Yeah. And I'll say like, even though there's no half, hard and fast rule in the law that says school district has to give these reports in advance. Well, the law does say that you as a parent have your own rights to be a meaningful participant in the IEP process. Mm-hmm. How better to be a meaningful participant mm-hmm. in the IEP process than to be able to be prepared for the meeting. If this is your first go at this and you've never been in the world of special education, you're going to be sitting down at this meeting with 15 other people, maybe Holy with yeah. a 20, 30 page report, maybe mm-hmm. a draft IEP. That's all plopped mm-hmm. in front of you, which now it might be emailed to you because we're all on zoom, Right. That's a lot of information. And for a parent to be able to digest that yeah. and think about what questions they have, are you really a meaningful participant if you're playing catch up that entire meeting? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of acronyms. We often forget, educators often forget, things do not get explained as well as they should. Mm-hmm. So when we think about your, your right to be a meaningful participant in the IEP process and to be informed, of your child's education, realistically, that means getting these documents ahead of time. And one thing I tell families sometimes is one tip that you can do is if you're planning the IEP meeting in advance and you ask for those documents and you feel like you really, you're the type of person who you're a visual learner, you're not going to get good information out of it. Two things you can do. One, bring someone with you Mm -hmm. meeting that can help you digest the information. Two, Record the IEP meeting. You have a right as a parent to record. You just have to give 24 hours in advance notice. The school district cannot say no. But the third thing is, if you really think, you know what, I'm going to come to this meeting and I'm going to be a disaster. If they give it to you like that day, you could say, you know what, I already know that there's a lot of information that I'm going to have questions. Let's schedule a part two. Now, they shouldn't take advantage of that and <laughs> say, okay, we'll hold a part two in 40 days. You know, you could then in there, like try to schedule one really soon after, but just know that like you do have power as a parent, you have power to say, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no, this, I I don't agree with this. I don't think that this is the right way for me to understand because guess what? You want to talk about hot tips just because the school district says something doesn't mean it's true. Doesn't mean it's lawful. You have a right to question. If you're sitting there thinking this doesn't seem right. 
you you might be right. Trust your gut. And, and Trust I love that gut. because that's really important because it might not be lawful just because right. they say that. And and yeah. you know sometimes school districts make make mistakes. You know yeah. sometimes they do beyond that. But we're just yeah. going to mistakes. So when whether this is a first meet IEP meeting or your twentieth IEP meeting, yeah, thirty eval, your first eval, whatever mm-hmm. it is, what do you feel like? And, you know, in our final question, what do we feel like you disagree? You you disagree with these evaluation results. You disagree with this IEP. What do you feel like are, you know, maybe, you know, a few key things that parents need to do? Because that's a whole other conversation. But I don't want to leave people. I've done this process. I went to the meeting. They they told me no. Now they did the eval and they still don't disagree. They don't agree with me. And you see your child is still struggling. Right. So this isn't like you disagree and your kid's got nothing going on. Right. I've had, I've had that happen. Right. Back in the day right. But we're talking your kid is really still struggling. Six hours yeah. of homework at night, yep. crying every night, yep. you know, falling behind, still in a normal range, but just falling and falling and falling and falling behind. You know, it's mm-hmm. going to be pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. What do they do? It really depends. If it's your first IEP, what I often see is parents just like not signing. Like they think like the powers and like not signing the IEP. But you have to be really specific and you need to be really mindful and thoughtful as to you might agree that they need an IEP and they are eligible under OHI, which a lot of our ADHD kiddos fall under uh, other health impairment OHI. I agree my child needs an IEP, but I don't agree with the goals because blah. I agree that my child needs an IEP, but I don't agree with the services. I think they need more or some, you know, you have to be really specific because when you say nothing and or, just to clarify, you mean writing that right on that. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. right on that. Yeah. And, right on that. Sign. Yeah, and it absolutely. doesn't have to be that same day. You can take yeah. it home. And what we advise our clients to do is to write on that paper, see attached, dated at state, and then you put it on a separate paper because there's never enough room. If there really are things that you want to be able to share and express, like, don't feel like, oh, it doesn't fit on here. I can't do it. Like, say see attached, because then when someone is looking in the file, they know that there's something else that they have to look for. And I feel like when you're in an impasse in any point with a school district, I feel like you need help. You need an advocate. You need an attorney. I don't know how, you know, parents can do, you know, certainly you can, you know, get onto your website. You can listen to your podcast. You can read books on it. But you need somebody to give you direct advice on your case, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's where I start. Right. Like, yeah, the first IEP is different than the 30th IEP. Right. Right. And I think that, you know, one great uh, organization that we are part of is COPA, Council of Parents, Attorneys, Advocates. And I know that we've talked about it, Dr. Rowe. And, you know, that is an excellent resource to educate yourself, right? Um, Amanda and I, just similar to how we're on your podcast, on our podcast, do this all the time. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll take hypotheticals. You know, we've, we've had our podcast for four or five years now. And so there's a lot of, you know, um, information there. But 
you do have power. You do have the opportunity to maybe agree to certain parts, but not other parts. Um, if you've had an IEP in the past and they're trying to take away an hour of speech and you, you don't agree with them doing that, you know, your old speech is still there, right, of, of five hours or whatever. And, and so there's these little like nuances and each case is individualized. So, you know, you can take all the information that we've given you, but it's specific. And that's what's so yeah. wild about special education. It's only been around since the 70s. It is still very much the wild, wild west. So oh my God, it's thing, the wild west. Oh my God. One yeah. thing for and one every one district, the pandemic world, right? Every, you know? and, and, every district, mm-hmm. every state, every county, it's all very different. So like we get that mm-hmm. question sometimes from families and we say, well, I mean, it depends what district you're in, because our approach is going to be different if you're in this district versus this. Well, just even this ADHD kiddo for this ADHD yes. kiddo. And well, I think you said it. It's the people at the table. Exactly. Yep. So yep. that's why it's so different. You know, some districts, when the head of the entire district, the superintendent is mm-hmm. really insisting mm-hmm. on unified training yes. and education. I can tell you as an outside person who used to do evaluations, it was dramatic, the difference. Oh, I bet. And how they approach things, right? Yeah. yeah. Even the, the the attitude of working together instead of us against them. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yep. 100%. So I remember uh, years ago, an ex-friend, because it can't be friends with, you know, anymore, but uh, became head of special ed in this very difficult district, called me up and said, would you like to talk to me about how difficult these parents are and what I can do about it? And I said, Oh boy. I said, you have problem right there. Your attitude Mm -hmm. right there. I said, you need to ask, you need to pull in parents and ask what you can do differently to improve the communication and actually follow through on it. Because some of the things that I've seen in your district I wouldn't go into this district as an evaluator. I wouldn't accept any cases without an attorney. So, you know, we have to change our attitudes. But I think Mm -hmm. one of the most important parts about this whole conversation with you all is parent empowerment. And that just because somebody says no doesn't mean Mm -hmm. it's right or legal. And the way to know that is to learn the game, the rules of the game. And the rules are in favor of the kid. You know, they really are. are. And you might know more than your district. And, you know, right. So Mm -hmm. Vicky and Amanda, you guys are you two ladies are wealth of knowledge. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I know this is going to impact people and I know they can, you know, get you at exclusiveeducationproject.org. How is that the best place for people to reach you and tell everybody your podcast name? It's just the Inclusive Education Project podcast. We got really creative there. And and you can find us anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Social media is a great way. Um, We're pretty active on Instagram. We do weekly Q&As. And we also, you can send us a DM if you have a specific question. Um, We periodically go on and, and well, if the question is something that we get all the time, we will do a podcast episode on it. And other ones, we do like short videos on our Q&A on our stories. Um, So Instagram is a great way. But our email address is on our website. So if you are in California 
and you're looking for a consultation, if you want to be on our podcast, if you just want to talk to us, you know, any of those ways will do. Well, and as you said, federal law is federal law, right? And you talk a lot about federal law. So, you know, the things we talked about today are applicable to everybody across the United States. So, you know, you can get on. I love podcasts. I'm a huge podcast listener. Like Mm -hmm. I sometimes listen to two podcasts in a day because I have an hour and a half sometimes in the car dropping off. To my private school, to my kid, one kid's homeschooled, one kid's in private school. And uh, just because they're unique learners and they need different yeah. ways. And every they place something different cool place, you know, yeah. and every kid yeah. needs something different. So, you know, this is really important work. And I just want to thank you because this really helped hopefully thousands of people who are listening. So, so thank you and really appreciated this conversation. And, you know, this podcast is all about natural solutions and empowering parents parents. And you gave people a ton of natural solutions today to help their kids regulate their nervous systems because we want calm brains and happy families. So wherever you are in the journey is exactly where you need to be sending you a lot of love and light. Thank you. You need the right solution to help your child be successful at home, school, and life. And that's why I've created the Solution Matcher. Go to drrosanne.com forward slash help, D-R-R-O-S-E-A-N-N forward slash help to get the right solution for where you're at. 